Hi there, listener. This is episode 56 of Prague Talk, a podcast from Radio Prague International. My name is Ian Willoughby. This time out, my guest is a retired diplomat with loads of great stories, Dana Hunyatova. When Dana joined Czechoslovakia's Ministry of Foreign Affairs in late 1989, she literally came across a red telephone to Moscow. And as head of office of the new minister, Yishi Deanspear, she was closely involved in the deep overhaul of the ministry that was needed after four decades of communism. Dana subsequently served as Czech ambassador to a number of countries. The now-retired diplomat has written two autobiographical books in recent years, and she's just published a biography of aristocrat Diana Phipps Sternbergova. I spoke to her for episode 56 of Prague Talk. I'm very interested in your early days at the Foreign Ministry. You joined the Foreign Ministry on the 11th of December, 89, so less than four weeks after the revolution began, and the day after Yishi Dinspear became the Minister of Foreign Affairs, why did he invite you to come to be his head of office? We have known each other for some time. I have known his name since 68, certainly, but we have met probably in middle of 80s, and uh, since then we have been friends. Maybe you, you know my husband was very active in jazz section, and jazz section and Charter 77 were close friends. We used to meet at different places, different occasions. And uh, I was uh, working first as a teacher at the economic school, and then I worked as an economist at uh, theological faculty of uh, Jan Hus in Prague. And uh, probably Dinsbier thought that I'm kind of disciplined bureaucrat, <laughs> let's say, which probably was not common in this uh, broader group of people. What was the situation like at the foreign ministry? There have been 40 years of communism, and then you enter this obviously very important institution. Yeah, it, it was very interesting from different points of view. First of all, the personnel at the foreign ministry was probably more shocked from the changes than ourselves. <laughs> I could maybe say that there were some who believed it wouldn't last long and everything would go back to the old order. There were few who were afraid. They knew why should they be. And there were probably a few who welcomed the change and welcomed the new uh, leadership of the foreign ministry. It's the practical part of it. But on the other hand, uh, it was also very important having uh, Dinsbier as the head of the Czechoslovak diplomacy then because there was no foreign policy in the past during the communist regime. We were just following all the instructions from Moscow through the Communist Party Bureau for International Affairs. So we can't say at all there was any foreign policy. So entering the foreign ministry, there were several major tasks. First of all, to create the foreign policy as such, to establish a sovereign state, because we were not sovereign since the end of the war, and certainly from the beginning of the war all the time, 
and uh, to establish uh, personnel which would uh, work on it. You went on something like 80 foreign trips with Minister Dean Speer in a short period of time. How do you look back today on that period? Well, it was fantastic because I, I was never allowed to travel and all of a sudden I had a fantastic chance to travel all around and um, well, I loved it. It was very hectic. It was, um, I would say, rather demanding. But I think the first years were so full of energy and, and enthusiasm and probably a little bit of adrenaline played its role because we were able to work really 16 hours and travel long trips like South America and upon our arrival we just went back to the office and well it <laughs> but uh, yeah I enjoyed it every every second. And who was actually formulating foreign policy? Was it Deansbeer himself largely or solely or was Havel also having an input into Czech foreign policy? Basically it was Deansbeer. Uh, he was very well prepared for this kind of job, not that he was thinking he would get it, but he, he was always involved in foreign policy and he studied a lot and he had lots of um, contacts from the time when he worked as an international correspondent. So he was well prepared and he knew exactly from the very first minute what needs to be done and how to achieve the goal. And they were very good friends uh, with the President Havel. There were a few cases when they even didn't know to talk to each other and they acted exactly the same way. So it was uh, absolutely certainly helpful because uh, Dinsbeer had a lot of uh, support, not only from the president himself, but also from the parliament members, which uh, looking back uh, at this time, I just uh, took it for granted. But <laughs> looking back, it was a very unique situation. And without such a consensus among politicians and also uh, public, uh, we couldn't have been able to do as much as we managed to do. You say that Madeleine Albright had a major influence on your career. How did she influence you? Yeah, she was fantastic and uh, I was very impressed from the first minute. She, I remember she arrived in, in uh, January 1990 and uh, the way uh, she behaved, the way she talked, the way she was very serious about uh, everything what she was doing. I just haven't seen anybody like that before because, as you may know, in the past, in the communist regime, there was a law that everybody has to work. So everybody had a job, but nobody could make a choice what kind of job. So we were working, but we were not... Uh, fully, let's say, indulged in doing this kind of work. And uh, this was completely different case of Madeleine. She lived in her job. So this was for the first time I, I saw somebody to be involved so much in and enjoying doing her job. And this had an impact on me. And I had a very privileged um, good luck or how to uh, call it uh, because she invited me to stay with her in her house for six weeks in uh, February, March 1990 
So I really could very closely follow and, and watch how is she working, what is she doing. And I was very impressed because she woke up every morning very early, read all the papers, and about six thirty, seven o'clock, she was off to her uh, work. She was teaching at the Georgetown University at this time. And then she came late evening back home and working again. I have never seen her watching movies or anything. She just was working, but she loved it. And that, that was the point. You had several postings to Finland, Egypt, Malaysia and Chicago. Which of those did you enjoy the most? Well, that's a very difficult question because these countries were so different or are so much different from each other, each um, on different continent. In Finland, I loved their working system. Everything was working smoothly and the political situation was stable and, and uh, there is no corruption. There is the highest quality of education system, very high standard of healthcare system and everything. Just the state works for its people. And I love that. And in Egypt, it's it's a beautiful country, very nice people, but it's completely opposite. The, the state is full of corrupt persons and they don't care for the poor people. But the people were really nice and hospitable. And Asia is beautiful visually from the first sight. You see all everything is blossoming, beautiful smell from all the flowers and, and fruits and everything. So it's rich in nature. People are very nice. And um, well, I loved Malaysia too. And uh, Chicago, of course, United States country of dreams come true so <laughs> I wanted to ask you about Chicago was it different from the other places where you were posted because I guess there was a Czech community in Chicago that you wouldn't have found in the other places where you were posted yeah it was different because uh, other posts um, I just happened to be the chief of the mission. Uh, I worked there in capacity of ambassador, but in Chicago it was uh, general consulate, so I, I was consul general there, which itself is different kind of job. We have very small Czech community in all the countries, Finland, Egypt, Malaysia. In Malaysia we don't have even one Czech person living there. So this was different, but also the Czechs living in Chicago or in Midwest are very much different from each other. There are certain groups according to the time when they were coming to the United States. So, so the people who left in 48 are different from the ones who left in 68, for example. Um, yes. And there is a large group of Czechs who arrived in early 90s, maybe as tourists or students. So it's, it's, it's really different. And each group has different views and different needs, so let's say, and, and different kind of cooperation with the consulate. You have a new book out, Meeting with Diana Phipps-Sternbergova. Who is she for our listeners who don't know her name? Well, uh, she's a very interesting person. Uh, she's uh, Countess of Sternberg. She's the head of the Chastolovice branch of the family Sternberg. She has left the country with her parents, obviously, in 48 after the communists uh, 
taken their, their, all their property, they confiscated it, and they had to leave. And then they left for France for a short time, from there to United States, and then they settled in Jamaica. And then Diana herself, after she got married, etc., then she moved in early 60s to London, and from London she came back. So it's kind of around the family, and, and she has made from Chastorice back to Chastorice. And uh, she herself is very interesting. She had her own career as an interior designer in London. She has published a very successful book. Now she's in her mid-80s. I'm curious if she is at all bitter about having to leave the country as a child. On one hand, she missed out living in her home country for decades. On the other, she had a great career in the West and she managed to avoid living under communism. Yeah, exactly. She was 11 when they were leaving and she said she just, she was not unhappy about it. Uh, She just looked at it in her child's eyes and she took it as adventure. She was looking forward to be in Paris. She was looking forward to go by ship to America. She enjoyed it. So she didn't think about like losing property and, and political situation, what they are doing with their castle now. And she said that even her parents never mentioned what was in the past. They never complained about their situation, even though it was rather difficult. My final question for you is, your son Marek is better known as Mardosha. He's one of the main yeah. members of this very popular Czech band, Tata Boys. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you have paid much attention to his career or have you been too busy doing your own things? Uh, well, I hope I followed his career. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a big concert last night. i sure I went there. It, it took place at O2 Universum. Well, I loved it. I think uh, they really did a great job. People loved it too. So I'm I'm happy about his career. And uh, whenever I was in Prague, I, I tried to see their concerts. We supported him since he was a little kid when he started learning playing guitar. He was maybe seven years old. Also, he's a great DJ. I've been yeah. to some events where he DJed and he really gets the yeah. gets the party started, as they say. <laughs> so I, I, I hope they could also see that, uh, as I saw at Marlens, to take her job seriously, I try to be serious in my job. <laughs> so maybe this could be how they saw me, I hope. I would wish they saw this. <laughs> Many thanks indeed to Dana Hunyatova for sharing her fascinating recollections of the early 1990s at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and a lot more besides. This has been episode 56 of Prague Talk, so clearly there are loads more editions where this one came from. Why not check some of them out and sign up wherever you get your podcasts. For me, Ian Willoughby, thank you so much for listening and talk to you again very soon. Mm-hmm.